Welcome, market participants, to another Three Things in Credit. I'm Van Hesser, Chief Strategist at KBRA. Each week, we bring you three things impacting credit markets that we think you should know about. The Fed's out of the way, tech earnings are out of the way, and risk is better bid. For now, visibility in this correction is, dare I say it, improving. Let's hope it lasts. This week, our three things are, one, uncertainty. It's there, but it's not as bad as you might think. Two, liquidity. Lack thereof clearly affects credit, but it also affects inflation. And three, CLOs. It's been a laggard in terms of returning to normal. We'll examine. Let's dig a bit deeper. So what are we missing? Regular listeners to the podcast know that we find useful color coming out of the large banks for insight into credit markets. We came across an interesting exchange this past week on an earnings call where an analyst asked the CEO of U.S. Bank Corp if credit, given the dramatic sell-off of risk assets, including bank stocks, and the seizing up of high-yield markets, was going to, quote, go off a cliff, unquote, in 6 to 12 months. In other words, were markets seeing something the banks weren't, were the banks facing, ultimately, a tsunami of loan losses? And that, by the way, is my characterization, inspired by Jamie Dimon's weather-obsessed descriptions of these markets. Now, U.S. Bank Corp. CEO Andrew Ciceri replied, We are preparing for any scenario because the range of scenarios are as wide as I've ever seen in my career. He added, there's a lot of uncertainty out there. Now, needless to say, that sounds ominous. But that said, the bank is not seeing any trends in early stage metrics that would cause concern, which means that over the next few quarters, management is expecting losses to remain lower than historical levels but will continue to normalize over time. So squaring up the uncertainty with the facts requires some work. Here's how we would think about this. First, we are in a unique situation. This time is different because, well, this time is different. So we agree with Mr. Ciceri's observation. And the uncertainty that comes with this territory has clearly stripped away the froth out of risk markets. Now, that said, the uniqueness of this situation is not so ominous as to paralyze credit markets in general, although we can debate about the state of play and high yield. Second, line of sight is actually not that bad. We know what the problem is, and the solution, while not painless, is also relatively well known. Tighten financial conditions and wait for capitalism to clean up supply constraints over time. There is a cost, of course, to this. But to answer the analyst's question above, we are not likely to go off a cliff. What gives us confidence on this view is that the financial system is not part of the problem. That reduces the risk of credit crunch, which acts as an accelerant to downturns. And third, normalization of loan losses driven by default rates will be gradual. That's because consumers and businesses in the aggregate are starting from a position of strength. We believe this is not lost on the Fed, which has been able to catch up with its tightening of financial conditions without undue concern that the economy might go off that cliff. Look, we're not sugarcoating how painful the first half has been for those managing risk assets. 
That correction was rapid and uncomfortable. But spreads are, for the most part, back to normal. With a relatively shallow recession in the offing over the next 12 months, we would expect spreads in riskier and less liquid instruments to bleed wider, consistent with a contraction, but in a relatively orderly manner. All right, on to our second thing, liquidity. At the beginning of the Fed's tightening cycle, a comment from Rick Reeder at BlackRock stuck with us. When you remove liquidity, he said, stuff breaks. Theoretically, that doesn't have to be the case. If we're all buying or selling based on intrinsic value, liquidity shouldn't matter, especially when you're talking about the totality of investable funds. It's massive. The degree of massiveness does not matter. But from a practical standpoint, however, more is better. Money sloshing around means more has to find a home, even if it means holding your nose or finding yourself exuberant, even when you know it might be irrational. The whole QE, search for yield era of the past decade, speaks to precisely this, as does growth in cryptocurrencies, meme stocks, etc. Too much money chasing too few assets. And in the pandemic era, all that stimulus goosed the amount of money chasing assets. So you can see this graphically when looking at the growth in M2, the Fed's measure of currency and savings, and its impact on stocks and credit indices. Growth in M2 soared, of course, with stimulus. And by the time that growth rolled over, starting in February 2021, after the last wave of stimulus, the stage was set for something to break. That was the bid, maybe it was just the irrational bid, for risk assets. Now, we didn't appreciate it at the time, in large part because back then, few folks outside of Larry Summers thought we may have overstimulated. And with all due respect to Mr. Summers, the fact is, no one could say with certainty at the time that we had conquered COVID and all of its variants. So, not surprisingly, there was a lag period to that point, the beginning of 2022, when something did break, when risk assets began to sell off with a vengeance. Another way to map this phenomenon is to track financial conditions, which began to tighten mid-year 2021, when markets began to sniff out that not only was more stimulus unlikely, but central banks quite possibly are going to have to raise rates to cool off an overstimulated demand function. One more thing to point out in this discussion. Liquidity not only drives the bid for risk assets, it drives the bid for lots of things, including those things that drive inflation measures. Reducing liquidity also figures to pull down CPI, which will allow the Fed and other central banks to eventually pivot which will stop out selling pressure on risk assets, including credit. Reducing excess liquidity is a fundamental underpinning to views that inflation is expected to return to an acceptable range, call it 2 to 3% by year-end 2023. Now, we don't expect that transition to be elegant. Some things will break along the way, but there is a light at the end of this tunnel. All right, on to our third things, the abnormals. We've talked a lot in the recent past about the return to normal. As tumultuous as the first half has been, IG and high-yield credit spreads are basically back to long-term averages. The 10-year yield is back to its long-term average. The forward multiple in the S&P 500 is back to its long-term average. One thing that is not back to normal is CLO yields. Yields on triple B tranches today, courtesy of Palmer Square, 
or 7.67%, well above the longer-term average dating from 2012 of 5.68%. Yields on double Bs today are 12.3%, well above their long-term average of 8.67%. Today's yields are significantly wider than comparably rated single names, nearly three points higher in triple B CLOs than triple B corporates, and six points, points higher in double Bs. This, despite CLOs offering a well-diversified pool of risk, as opposed to the idiosyncratic risk of a single name. The issue for a CLO is its lack of liquidity, although in times of market stress, single names also will suffer, especially double Bs. So as you wonder where credit breaks in the next downturn, it's always good to take note of where credit did not break in the previous downturn, as that's where excesses are likely to build. Leaving the COVID recession, sharp but short, aside, we would go back to the GFC for this purpose. CLOs ultimately held up remarkably well in terms of risk to principal, and today's iterations are even stronger structurally. But with an unusually long period of economic expansion and a powerful search for yield guiding investors, there is no shortage today of corporate credit risk. Part of this story is a significant change in market structure as we have often talked about, including on last week's podcast, where private credit has become a bona fide pillar of credit markets today. Yes, it is largely untested, but the sheer size of market segments that comprise the whole, including a CLO market that has grown to $1 trillion in size, makes it less vulnerable, in our opinion, to market runs. And if you factor in our view that this downturn we're currently in is likely to be relatively shallow, out-of-favor sectors like CLOs are worth a closer look while it is dislocated. So there you have it. Three things in credit. One, uncertainty. It's there, but it's not as bad as you might think. Two, liquidity. As it corrects, it will bring down inflation. Three, CLOs. It's been a laggard in terms of returning to normal. As always, thanks for joining us. Don't forget to check in on KBRA.com for our latest research and ratings reports. See you next week.